Hey, Derek, I have something kind of sensitive to discuss with you. Oh, yeah? What's up? Um, I had a weird experience last night in while I was sleeping. Sexual or not? Um, That's important. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> so I, I woke up, or at least I thought I woke up, and I was frozen, and I couldn't move, and my eyeballs were stuck to the back of my head. And all of a sudden, I felt this presence that I haven't felt in years. It was my third grade lunch lady, and she crept up the side of the bed and started licking my toes. And no matter what I could do, I couldn't break away. And then all of a sudden, her face turned into static, and her eyes caught on fire. Does that mean that, like, I have some kind of weird, hidden, like, Jungian, Oedipal kind of thing going on? Like, what's what's the deal? Do you know anything? Can you tell me anything about this? Where did she touch you when you were in third grade? Well, right right in my tater tots. Um, <laughs> God damn it. I don't know. <laughs> we, we have a guest on that might be able to help us out with <laughs> yeah, that. Dr. Chuck. Speaking of edible complexes. <laughs> edible complexes, those edible, tater tots. Edible yeah. complexes, those tater tots. Yeah, so we are the Watch If You Dare podcast. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> We're all in our 30s. We're all accomplished. And yet we have the maturities collectively <laughs> of 11-year-olds. Yay. Yeah, joining us today for this uh, special episode is yet another guest, a new one, our buddy Jeff from college who happens to be a doctor. Jeff? Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's right. I'm a psychiatrist, not to be confused with a psychologist. I can prescribe medications, and I always get incredibly hurt whenever people confuse the two. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I understand. Just kidding. Just I've, kidding. Just I have kidding. made that mistake as a nurse, and I've gotten chewed out. Yeah. No, I'm not going to chew anybody out. Um, yeah. Well, hello, spooky listeners. I've listened to this podcast last 20 episodes over the last few months. I've really enjoyed it, and it's a pleasure to be joining you two. It's great having you on, buddy. Yeah. And yeah. this is a great, uh, this is an appropriate episode, too, to have you on as well. Definitely, definitely. Because, all right, so, Mansfield, you were saying earlier, and I didn't realize this, that you have experienced sleep paralysis, which is the subject of this episode, the the, uh, the nightmare. So, it sounds like something that you've experienced as well, which I, I have chronic sleep paralysis. I have it probably once every couple of days, every few days, I, I have sleep paralysis. Oof. Very prominent sleep paralysis. I have only had that experience once, but we will talk about okay. that in a little bit, for sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like we usually do jeff uh since you're brand new on the episode or on our podcast uh-huh. rather if you could just give us a little bit of background like are you a fan of horror um, i am a massive fan of horror so all right so my first intro to horror all right to give you some background you know i grew up in mississippi i grew up in the backwoods where it was just an isolated farmhouse there were six of us living in a two-bedroom house very cramped we all had to share rooms and so i had to sleep with my oldest brother and it was basically in a, in a twin-size bed and he would tell me the story every night to give you sort of an ambiance the wind was really strong out at this farmhouse you know you could hear the all the time coyotes we had a bunch of chickens like we had we were farmers so we had a bunch of chickens and stuff so coyotes were always like coming outside of our house and, and howling and stuff but at night he would always tell me the same freaking story and have you ever heard of the story um who got my big toe I've i think so heard that before i don't know what exactly it entails all right let me tell you the story let me tell you the story so there i am i'm, I'm like three years old you know i'm pissing the bed most nights and 
<laughs> so he tells me the story. It, it deals with a small four or five year old boy who helps his parents on a farm hoeing peas, which is something I did a lot. You know, I hoed the tomato garden and the pea garden and all that stuff. And they were out there hoeing peas. And one time this boy strikes uh, the ground with his hoe and he hears something yelp and, and barrel underground. And he looks down and there's a big hairy toe just lying on the ground, bloody. And he thinks, man, all we eat is peas and beans and okra. I want some meat in my food. Yeah. So he sneaks that night when, when his mama is cooking up the peas, he sneaks the uh, toe in there to get him some meat. And so he, he eats it and he's like, man, this is the best meat I've had in a long time. Later on that night, they're all sitting around the fire because that's the only thing to do. And out like in the distance in the wind, they hear, ooh, got my big toe. The little boy, <laughs> <laughs> and the little boy gets scared, okay? He gets kind of scared. He's like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And like, no, it's just the wind. Anyway, it gets closer, and it's like, who got my big toe? And then they hear the uh, the gate door screech open, and they hear it louder. They can hear, who got my big toe? Then the, the parents are, like, freaking out, and they run and hide under the bed. And it keeps getting closer, and they hear something scratching on the chimney. It's uh, saying, who got my big toe? And then um, all the lights go out, and something comes down the chimney, and the boy is scared stiff. And he's on, like, right in front of the chimney. And this big thing jumps out and goes, you did. And so right when it says you did, my brother would like jump at me and, and yell at me. And then he would um, fart under the covers and like dutch up at me. That tended to be kind of <laughs> what would happen. It was, it was terrible. There's a version of that story in uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah. On episode uh, 19 or 20, um, one of your friends was talking about how that was one of her intros to horror. Yeah. And it was mine too. I remember being in the gifted class in, in school and that, that was on the shelf and I loved it. And, and our gifted teacher would take us to Edgar Allan Poe plays in the, in the third grade my mom hated it I grew up Southern Baptist my mom she hated scary stuff so it was, it was always really taboo for me and I loved it because it was taboo yeah. and, and honestly the only movie that scared me when I was a kid was uh, E.T. the extraterrestrial that uh, scene where he like opens up the closet door and E.T. is under the uh, toys and screams at him scared the shit out of me that is not the like fourth time that I've heard someone yeah. specifically say E.T. scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's funny too, because I remember as a kid, the things that scared me weren't necessarily horror movies. They were like weird moments in otherwise fine, like family movies. Like I remember there were parts of Return of the Jedi that scared me when I was young. Oh, there was obviously the part in Home Alone. I brought this up before on, on our show, but with the furnace, with the furnace that used to scare <laughs> me as a kid. So I think that's a pretty common thing for a lot of people when they're growing up. Totally. But you uh, you watch a lot of horror movies and stuff, though, don't you? Yeah, to, to further expound on that, I didn't get as much into horror until later whenever my brother and I, my uh, brother who, who studies physics, we watched Twitter Witch Project. And because of it taking place in the woods, it really connected with us in a real visceral way. Um, I remember since that was one of my first horror movies to ever see, I had a real hard time like distinguishing whether the actors were real or not, You know, which I think a lot of people in the 90s yeah. did. You know, I go back and watch it now, I'm like, yeah, well, obviously they're, they're actors. But at the time, it was just so real. So, yeah, I mean, Blair Witch, a lot of people were like, they don't believe that. They, 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 it didn't scare them that much. But for me, it really did um, connect on that childhood level of I'm out in the woods. I've been lost in the woods before. I've been around coyotes. Um, you know, we have all these stories about well, my house is near this, um, or my old house was near this. It was a Native American graveyard. And we had stories about that. And so that sort of thing, like, really connected with me. Um, and after that, I just really got into scary movies. And I roomed with Ben 
Sutton, and he hated scary movies. So that was a pastime. You know, I, I would always watch scary movies over there. I, I do remember a time in college, I walked in Neil's apartment to hang out, and you were like, hold on, man, just give me one second. I need to finish the last 15 minutes of Flatliners. <laughs> and so I just <laughs> sat there as you watched Flatliners, and then you got out of it, and you were like, man, I've been looking forward to watch that movie all week. And it kind of sucks. <laughs> and I still, but and yeah. it's funny, it does, but I, I still love it. I mean, it's such an inaccurate, you know, medical tale, but all those like A-list actors. And I think the other thing, as far as horror, you know, obviously I'm a huge H.P. Lovecraft fan. Um, I've read every story he's ever written multiple times, gotten into the role-playing game. So that's had a huge impact on what I consider, uh, you know, my taste or Lovecrafting horror is one of my favorites. Cool, cool. Yep. Well, on that note, we are going to get into what we have been consuming lately horror-wise and since you are the guest of honor, Jeff, we'll start with you. Anything in the last week or two or month or uh, wise you've been getting into? Well, I have been watching some movies with my girlfriend. I'm trying to think of what I've really been getting into horror, horror wise. I've been going through that show Dark, the German show, yeah. a little bit, but it's not, I don't, so far it hasn't really been horror. It's been, I don't know, I don't know what's really classified as, as, but it's in the genre close enough, yeah. Yeah, it's close enough. I have been reading a lot of creepypasta. I've been rereading. I don't know if you've read the creepypasta about the stairs in the woods. Like, there's a park ranger who goes out yeah. and finds these stairs. So, if you've been reading creepypastas, a show that you need to check out, which is, I think it's all on Amazon now, but it's definitely all on Shutter, is Channel Zero. I saw the first season. I haven't checked out anything else, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the first season because yeah. it was based off of uh, Candle Cove. Yeah, and season three, Butcher's Block, is specifically based based on the one that you just mentioned about the staircases in the woods. Really? Yeah. Okay, that would be fantastic to watch in this next week. Um, yeah, I'll try that out. And I was uh, showing my girlfriend, what is that movie? Silent Hill, which I watched that 11th grade, and I, don't, I never played the video games, but it's a pretty gruesome movie. It doesn't, like, freak me out or anything, but it's just the rust and the rotten meat and, and blood, yeah. like, all mixed together. It's funny you mention that, because there has been a little bit of people revisiting that movie, like, more recently, the first Silent Hill movie, and mm-hmm. a lot of people are starting to come down that it's a better movie than people initially thought and possibly could be like the best video game adaptation but as a horror movie it's effective honestly there were parts of that movie that did capture the essence of those video games because i played two three and a little bit of four myself but two and three are like especially two are like the classics i remember watching a movie and liking it even back then when people didn't necessarily praise it at all they did a decent job with a video game medium yeah Yeah. scream factory just put out a like new remastered collector's edition blu-ray that a lot of people like on the movie internet have been discussing recently and yeah i mean the general consensus is not as bad as we remember. And I liked it the first time I saw it. I didn't understand people's hate for it. Um, but again, I didn't play the video game. So, you know, uh, they want, if you're saying like it did do a justice, uh, I kind of wanted to go through and play it. But, you know, the end, whenever Annabelle gets just sliced through the vagina, I mean, it, that is gruesome, man. Yeah, that was yeah, the, that's the end of that kill. one gets a little bit blue. Yeah, with the chains wow. like literally going through her and then just bleh, eviscerating her. Yeah. But I just remember too, like the gif of Pyramid Head showing up. Mm-hmm. And just grabbing that person and like literally snatching their entire skin just off, just pulling it off like a glove. That gift stuck with me for a while before I actually saw the movie. And yeah, it's it's not and bad. And then he tosses all the skin at the church door as they're like yeah. escaping in. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, no, I mean, and there were people that were mad at it because it, they wanted the game itself to be the movie. But instead of it taking one or two and making it into a movie, they took aspects of it and created their own story. 
story for the the movie mm. itself but honestly like a lot of the quote-unquote other world where it's all rusty and run down and even a little bit of eldritch abomination that's very much silent hill and also i like the the transition it feels like it's going from purgatory to hell and i always really enjoyed that aspect and and i can never hear a siren the same way anymore every time i hear a tornado siren i'm like pyramid head's about to show up <laughs> you know it's about to happen yeah also have either one of you seen la llorona i haven't i have not yet i've just always been a big fan of like the, the spanish horror genre i mean something about it um adds a adds a flavor to it that i've always enjoyed so i think that's one and speaking of niche you know i've, I've mentioned it several times i think but i really would be interested to see what y'all think about am 1200 one day whenever y'all possibly get time i know it's on vimeo for free but I, I was just so impressed by that movie, and, and nobody really knows about that movie. I added it to my list. I'm, I'm going to check it out in the next day or two. Yeah, I think because I am such a Lovecraftian horror fan, I think it was one of the best. And, and, and the cool thing about it is there's all these little Easter eggs hidden throughout the movie that you can pay attention to that make references to Lovecraftian literature and um, Kabbalistic type stuff as well. Very interesting. And, and I thought that they did a good job on the, you know, as a psychiatrist, I deal with individuals with schizophrenia on a regular basis, and I thought they did a good job of um, portraying someone in a psychotic state. I mean, n- not down to a T, but it was a good dramatization of yeah. someone in a psychotic right. state. Cool. Um, so another uh, kudos for that. Well, Aaron, you got any horror that you wanted to mention that you've been grabbing into, digging into? Uh, just a couple of things. So, you know, the season of Spoop is now done as this episode is coming out. Um, however, we are still in the season of Spoop as we are recording this. So I've been trying to cram in as much stuff as I can, but I have also been out of town, so I haven't read or watched a whole lot. So I did check out the first story from the new Creep Show TV series that's on Shutter. It was fun. It's got a great cast. It's Adrian Barbeau and Tobin Bell and uh, Giancarlo Esposito. So already like three big names in the genre, and it was a fun kind of you know small town spoopiness. Guy mutates into monster. Cool practical effects kind of thing. So I think it got kind of the tone and the atmosphere of Creepshow pretty well. I also picked up a Stephen King 8-movie pack on iTunes, specifically because it had a handful of his movies that have not made it to physical media yet. What movies does it have? So it's got Cujo, The Dead Zone, Graveyard Shift, Thinner, The Running Man, Pet Cemetery, Tales from the Dark Side... And maybe like one or two other ones, I can't remember, but Tales from the Dark Side, Graveyard Shift, and The Dead Zone, none of those three specifically have any kind of physical high definition release. So that's as good as they're really going to get for right now, at least. And I really wanted to rewatch Tales from the Dark Side specifically. It's been a while since I've seen that movie, and I have some very distinct memories from watching that growing up where there is one story involving a cat, and the cat literally jumps down this guy's fucking throat. And it's just <laughs> the most visceral thing, like seeing this guy's like rubber head with his mouth all stretched out (laughs) and this bloody cat scraping its way into his mouth. Literally one of my cats just jumped on the couch right next to me as you were talking about that. (laughs) But yeah, that that one's definitely fun. And I forgot how many people are in Tales from the Dark Side. So the first skit is about these college students and the rich college student douchebag plays a prank on this poor college student who's just scraping his way by and he collects antiques to like resell and ends up with like a mummy but uh just in that skit alone it's julianne moore steve buscemi and cuffs damn it 
Christian Slater. <laughs> so, like, all three of them are, like, in this intro skit. Let me, let me guess. Christian Slater is the douchebag rich one. He's one of the douchebag rich ones, yes. <laughs> Boom, got it. James Remar is also in it. Radon Chong is in it. Tommy Chong's daughter. The wraparound has Debbie Harry from Blondie in it as a witch who has this kid kidnapped and she's going to, like, cook him. And the kid's just trying to stall. So he's like, no, 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 no. Read me another story out of that book. That book. Tales from the dark side that you have over there. <laughs> so I forgot about the wraparound and everything. So Stephen King is a uh, canon in whatever universe this movie is. Well, so technically, according to legend, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, was technically Creepshow 3. And for whatever reason, writes something I don't know didn't work out. And they were also trying to do like a TV show, Tales from the Dark Side. But at the end of the day, like it ended up being one of those things where like, like, they just changed the title, but it was originally supposed to be Creepshow 3. But Stephen King, like, wrote one or two of the of the stories in that one. I also watched Graveyard Shift, which was another, like, Stephen King novella. And that's the one with the rats. Everybody just remembers as that one with the rats. But hmm. I also forgot there's, like, a giant bat creature in it. Um, that's what's actually killing everybody is this giant vampire bat thing. That one's got a lot of fun creature effects and gore in it as well. Besides those three things, that's all I've really been able to watch in the last couple of days. Um, I did also read the first few issues of Coffin Bound, which you mentioned, Derek, yeah. on the last episode, and that shit's great. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. What's what's the premise of Coffin Bound? <sighs> it, yeah, so Derek, Derek explained it on the last episode, and I'll try to explain it on this one. You might do a better job than me. It's super fucking weird, but it's great. And, and how you described it, Derek, is pretty perfect. It is like weird alternate USA Mad Max post-apocalyptic but also just really esoteric weird. It's this woman, and we don't really know a whole lot about what her deal is just yet, but she is essentially talking to, like, this animunculus thing that mm. she created, somebody created, I'm not sure on that, but yeah. it's basically this bird cage with a vulture skull in it that is on top of, like, the top half of a mannequin with wooden peg Pinocchio legs but then it has like a trench coat on and it's just following her around talking to her giving her like warnings because somebody is trying to kill her and they sent the earth eater after her and it's just this fucking wild assassin guy in a gimp mask with a fur coat on who literally is just eating dirt and like feeling the earth for the vibrations of where people are. And He's basically Avalanche from yeah. the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He just controls the earth. Well, I, see, I don't know. It sounds like Tremors, but yeah. yeah, it's fucking wild. The characters aren't characters either. They aren't people. They are more like concepts personified. Archetypes, yeah. Mm. Kind of like mm. the Sandman, like okay. Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. this woman basically decides that she is going to, like, destroy everything in her life that ever pointed to the fact that she, like, was a person on this earth, period. Any trace of her existence she's trying to eliminate. And it's wild. It's very, very esoteric and weird. The artwork in it is phenomenal. The color work in it, the inking, like, everything about that artwork is right up my alley. I'm super curious to see where it goes from here. My only disappointment is just that one issue a month. 
So it's, it's the same with all comics, unfortunately. And I don't really want to, like, wait several months to have, like, a little bit of a backlog for that story. Yeah. But at the same time, like... It's going to be, like, East of West all over again for you. Yeah. Reading, reading just the one issue at a time is going to be frustrating, so... Mm, I see. I'm looking through artwork right now. It looks great. And this... Uh, I see what you're talking about with this guy with a, a vulture and a birdcage, yeah? Yeah. Looks good. Looks good. Yeah. It's, it's definitely great. Mm. So that's all I've been able to check out. Derek, what about you? So, um, I got a little bit to go over myself. Speaking of Stephen King, still making my way through Nightmares and Dreamscapes, one of his uh, short story collections. I mean, it is like over 800 pages long, and I'm, I think, in the 500s now. I've completed most of the short stories in it. And ironically enough, that Toe story you were telling earlier, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a uh, story called The Moving Finger that reminded me of it, where it's this guy who lives in like a New York apartment with his wife. Just one day, a finger starts coming out of the drain, but it only only he is the one who's like seeing it yeah and he kind of goes crazy so that's one of the short stories um but one thing that i do like it's kind of like a double-edged sword when it comes to stephen king because it's something that he's fantastic at but it's also if you aren't a fan of this style then you really don't like stephen king but he is so good at taking like simple things and turning it into horror like simple ideas like one of the stories is this couple that they show up at a town people tell them it's the rainy season they should leave town because one night out of every seven years or so it rains frogs all over the town and the frogs are like deadly and of course the couple don't believe them and they spend the night in the town anyway well you know shit goes to hell but that's such like a simple concept but weird enough and horrific enough that he turns it on its head and he does that with like a lot of his short stories I'm noticing I'm sure it's the same way with a lot of his uh, longer stories with like it and Pet Cemetery and all that but I've only ever read Stephen King's short stories I don't know why but I'm addicted to the way he writes short stories so I'll probably get the next collection after I'm done Nightmares and Dreamscapes so I still highly recommend that one also I don't know if I've ever brought this one up Mansfield but it's another comic from Image Comics and I think they're on issue like 11 or 12 there's one trade already out and there's about to be two called Outer Darkness and it's written by John Lehman who was one of the co-creators of Chew it basically is sci-fi horror okay. with a bit of Lovecraftian and things like that but it's basically like mankind has colonized the galaxy but during their interstellar travels they found that out in the darkness of space all the supernatural things we think exist or might exist all do exist it's just that they're all out in space instead of like on earth so like they come across whole solar systems that are under demonic possession they uncover like a haunted house that was launched into space because it was too haunted to keep on a planet <laughs> that's a pretty great way to get rid of it just like oh this is terrible cool throw it up in space yeah so just all this cosmic horror but it's so funny because they're already well adapted to all this because each crew that travels throughout the galaxy has their professional exorcist and like an exorcism team and each ship is assigned an old crone or hag that's a witch so it's very interesting the way that the comic is set up and just the writing is a lot of fun and they explore ideas that are just fun and horrific at the same time oh also one of the coolest parts is that each ship the way that they travel throughout the galaxy they use a combination of science and spirituality in that they have a god engine which has like a entity that was I guess strong enough to be called a god at one time and they've literally captured it and are using it as like their ship engine okay yeah so this sounds very like Warhammer 40k-ish to me which I love 
a little bit whereas uh, this is more like a transport ship rather than mm. like a uh, military or anything like that but yeah i highly recommend it it's a lot of fun i enjoy the artwork the artwork is very almost even a little bit cartoony it's fantastic so outer darkness also too i've been digging into the recent buffy the vampire slayer from boom studios that's being written by jordy belair this is her first writing credit because she's usually a colorist on a lot of other comics but i grew up a little bit with buffy the vampire slayer I used to watch it a, a good bit as a kid this is kind of like a soft reboot and happens like in an alternate version of the buffy universe and jordy belair does a great job of writing the characters taking the good aspects of whedon but like getting rid of all the bullshit that like that comes with his quirky dialogue and all that yeah. she keeps it quirky enough that it still feels like buffy but doesn't drown it in that nonsense so i honestly think this is one of the better representations of the buffy character i think that's like on issue eight or nine they're about to start their first like big event called hellmouth and it's been solid so far and then one last thing i wanted to touch on where it's not necessarily horror but it does explore a lot of horror ideas it's pretty new on netflix it's the show living with yourself that uh has paul rudd in it the basic concept is he accidentally gets cloned and he was supposed to die and the clone was supposed to live on this all happens in the first episode so i'm not spoiling anything it's him dealing with his clone of himself and the clone of himself is all the best parts of him whereas he's kind of like a moody depressed deadbeat this is like the best parts of him who's like super motivated easy to talk to with other people like uh wins people over and it stated it's a pure comedy but honestly it's almost more like surreal comedy or even dark comedy that does such a good job of like showing the anxieties and fears of what it would be like if like all of a sudden you had a doppelganger that was basically either not even like purposely just kind of accidentally taking over your life and they just so happen to be like better at you than everything they are the best version of you basically and uh i'm only on like uh, episode four or five i think there's eight episodes in the first season and it's solid each episode's only about 25 26 minutes long so it's very bingeable and honestly like as someone who is getting more and more into watching horror because this podcast i kept relating to a lot of the fears and anxieties that we've discussed and like this is kind of one of my weird irrational fears that could never happen is like my doppelganger coming and taking over my life without me noticing and this does a great job of showing that on screen of course i like paul rudd so i'll watch it like <laughs> it's paul it's paul rudd yeah. yeah he's a funny guy yeah so living with yourself on netflix it's definitely not scary but does touch on some scary ideas oddly enough um i was talking to my sister-in-law danielle to see if she was maybe interested in coming on the show because it's mostly been people around our age so i figure having somebody on that's even younger might be interesting and i asked her like what are people your age actually scared of nowadays and she was like for real deep fakes <laughs> doppelgangers people imitating you pretending to be you like that whole idea is terrifying somebody pretending to be you on social media and messaging your friends and saying like awful things and doing awful things like all that is terrifying to people our age yeah that's not surprising i also figured that some form of gang stalking would be like a big fear of the younger generation right now yeah i could see that i see that all the time on on x on uh 4chan you still on 4chan x that's where I go read my creepypasta. You're still on 4chan, bro, huh? I had to think about that for a minute. Yeah, you're still in that cesspit? That's oof. <laughs> I only go to that, though. I literally only go to X. You're, you're a braver person than I am. I, I Yeah. 
Um, no, no, I only, I only, I literally only go to X. Partially because they do have a lot of people who comment on some of the recent Joe Rogan alien interview stuff. What's his name? Um, Bob Lazar and the and the Navy pilot. Yeah, all the disclosure stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to see what a bunch of people with mental illnesses uh, are thinking about this. You know, because that's pretty much all that is on X. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother can of worms when it comes to horror. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's kind of what we're about to step into a little bit. So yeah, yeah. so we are doing the nightmare which is this is our first documentary. I, I would still say it's a horror movie, but it's a documentary. All is about sleep paralysis. So before we dive into discussions about the film, and I wanted to ask each of y'all, Jeff, I know you mentioned earlier that it's very common for you to have sleep paralysis. Do you have any specific stories that are especially like haunting or just memorable or anything? Yeah, there's a few that I'd actually, I'll, I actually would like to talk about. First off, like I want to start with my very first um, sleep paralysis that happened to me, which it started in about 30 grade the majority of people it starts like between the ages of 15 and to 25 i want to say i was reading some statistics that say only about eight to ten percent of people ever experience it i i think it's probably higher than that i think it's um a lot of people either don't know what it is they're experiencing or it's not chronic it maybe happened one time and they forgot about it if it wasn't memorable or if it was they just chalked yeah, it up i agree with you because i've had it only one time but i remember it at the time i was in the middle of nursing school so i knew exactly what it was yeah but i think a lot more people than that have it at least once in their life. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably, I mean, this is guesstimation. There's no hard evidence between what I'm saying, but I'd say it's probably closer to 30 or 35%. Because this is something I do talk about regularly with people I know because it happens to me so often. And my patients, I have actually seen a patient in the midst of his first sleep paralysis episode. He was like 70 years old and uh, we all thought he was dying. And I finally told him, no, he's breathing and he snapped out of it and he had never had that happen before. But my first sleep paralysis episode happened around third grade and as I said I grew up in a very religious family and I myself I'm still Catholic myself slash Orthodox whatever you want to say but I grew up very Baptist and so there's always stories about demonic possession and things of that nature and uh, I never slept on a bed I always slept under my bed in a sleeping bag or slept to the side of my bed usually it was under my bed in a sleeping bag like I slept on the floor in a sleeping bag from first grade till college literally I never slept in a bed but I remember this uh, one night I woke up and I was paralyzed and I felt my sleeping bag being jerked up and down across the floor and I couldn't move and it flipped me out. I got up, I turned on the light, went and like woke up my parents and uh, slept in the room and for years I thought in my head, oh that was like some sort of like demonic encounter of some sort. Of course now that I'm a psychiatrist I have a very different view of that sort of thing. Whenever I finally realized what sleep paralysis was, was in college do y'all remember, uh, I think it was like 2009 or so, or 2008, there was a woman who owned a chimpanzee, and her chimpanzee ripped off her friend's face? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do remember that. The woman's name was something Nash, I think. Yeah, it made like the national news circuit for like a week or two. Yeah, man, that that horrified me, and it scared me. It just made me really scared of, of, of uh, gorillas or chimpanzees, orangutans. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, mimic uh, Joe Rogan here when he's always talking about being afraid of chimps or anything, but literally, like, I, I really was very very uh, perturbed by chimpanzees. And so I remember came home one day, I think in, in a sophomore year, and I was sleeping on the couch on my back. And so this is when sleep paralysis tends to happen, is when people sleep at an odd hour in the middle of the day on their back or they're generally on their left side 
it tends to increase the chances of it happening. Sorry to interrupt, but why on the left side? I'm not completely sure. Is that like a heart thing? No, I imagine it has something to do with blood flow to your occipital cortex, but that's just some theory that I have that, you know, you, you're going to have more visual stimuli happen if there's more oxygen provided to your occipital cor- cortex, possibly. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's even um, correct at all. It's just, okay. I just have heard from lots and lots of people who've had it that the left side tends to be the side that causes them to have more. I know for me it does. And I don't know if that changes depending on whether you're left or right-handed or anything like that. But at least on your back, it does tend to increase chances more. But anyway, so I fall asleep on the couch and I, I wake up and I can't move. But I see the entire room. So for people who don't have sleep paralysis, you can open your eyes and you see everything just as it is before you. But then things will be superimposed, hallucinations of some sorts. It's almost like wearing Google Glass and having augmented reality. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the door opens and this chimpanzee walks to my house. <laughs> and it and no lie, it's wearing overalls. And I am flipping out because I'm like, this isn't happening. <laughs> but it's like, looks realistic. It's not dreamlike. You know, anyone that has sleep paralysis hallucinations, it does not have that dreamlike quality. It looks as if there yeah, is yeah. whatever thing is there. Yeah, Donkey, Donkey Kong was about to fuck your world up, basically. Yeah, yeah. He comes over <laughs> to the couch. Touch, looks at me in the face, touches me on the head, grabs a newspaper, walks out. And all the time, I'm sitting there about to piss myself. I shoot up. I'm like, what the hell? So I get into like a Google frenzy. Like, cause I'm like, that's not right. You know, am I going psychotic? Um, you know, wh- what's going on here? And I finally figure out, oh, sleep paralysis. And that's whenever I learned that these things happening in third grade were not possession or anything. It was just sleep paralysis. And I remember uh, shortly after that, I uh, went to the dentist. It, it was about this time that I started having them more regularly. I went to the dentist and got some more tab after a surgery and I, I took a little bit more than I think I was supposed to. I didn't know anything about medicines at that time. And I remember um, my girlfriend at the time, who is now like, my girlfriend again, Elena, I had sleep paralysis in my bed and, and I, I saw her mom come into, the, into my dorm room. And she, again, I slept under the bed in my dorm room. I had the mattress under the bed. Her mom's head stuck in under the uh, curtains and told me hello. And I said hello. And then it backed off and disappeared. And so about then is whenever I started really um, experiencing sleep paralysis. And I have a lot more, um, uh, you know, episodes that I can get into later that were much more scary. That was the beginnings of that. So Mansfield, what's your one experience with sleep paralysis? So like I mentioned earlier, I've only had one case of sleep paralysis, but I knew exactly what it was. It was completely the like classic, I woke up, I was frozen, I couldn't move, like physically I couldn't move my body at all. I was on my back, I was staring up at the ceiling, I was definitely breathing heavy and I couldn't talk. And I definitely like felt that classic presence in the room, like somebody was in the room with us and like it was this kind of shadow person that came to the edge of the bed and just stood there and eventually started like crawling up onto the bed on top of me and I was trying to move and I couldn't move and I was trying to scream and I couldn't scream. Normally when I have nightmares, which is not often, I'll be very vocal. I talk in my sleep a lot and so Heather knows whenever I'm having a nightmare because I'll be a lot more vocal and I'll actually start talking louder or even potentially yelling to the point that it wakes her up and then she wakes me up. That didn't happen this time. Like I was literally trying my best to scream and just nothing was coming out and eventually I just pushed and pushed and pushed to the point where I like instantly like snapped out of sleep 
it, it was the most weird sensation, but I knew exactly what had happened because, and this was only like maybe a year and a half ago. This was right before we moved. This wasn't very long ago at all. I knew what sleep paralysis was. I've heard about it for years. The documentary that we're talking about on this episode, I saw like around the time that it came out. Like I knew what sleep paralysis was. So I knew exactly what happened because it was all the classic basic stuff. And I did discuss that with my mother, and my mother said that she, like, had also had one or two instances of this, and one of my brothers I know has as well. So, like, it definitely is something that multiple people in my family have experienced, and we all have generally experienced it the same exact way. Because you saw the nightmare around that time, do you think the fact that you knew more about sleep paralysis, do you think it scared you more about what you might experience while you're going through it, or it calmed you down more? Did you did you even have the prescience, you know, while you were paralyzed? I did have the prescience to like know exactly what was happening like that was the thing i i was a hundred percent conscious and aware of what was going on because i've had lots of you know nightmares before and i'm generally a pretty lucid dreamer to where like i'm aware that i'm having a nightmare i can a lot of times snap myself out of it a lot of times i can kind of take control of the nightmare in a meta sense to the point where i can like turn it to not be so horrific anymore you know it's rare that like i will completely just fall off the edge of that cliff and go full nightmare without that control and that's generally when heather wakes me up but during that sleep paralysis episode like i said i i was completely cognizant and aware i knew exactly what was happening because y'all can attest to this anybody that's dealt with sleep paralysis will tell you it is a thousand percent a completely different sensation and experience than just having a regular nightmare like it is a completely different kind Mm -hmm. of thing yeah so i was completely aware of what was happening i just wasn't sure like how to shake out of it because it's slightly different for everybody yeah but i i basically just kind of forced myself to sit up And granted, when I, like, woke up, I I wasn't sitting up at all. I was still just perfectly laying back down. But I, like, willed myself to sit up. And at that point, I snapped out of the dream and I was just laying on my back again. But I definitely, like, knew exactly what was happening in that moment and was trying to get out of it. And I, I sensed the presence at the end of the bed, that, like, shadow figure. And it started crawling up on the bed. And that's when I, like, really started trying hard to, like, get out of it. Because the thing standing at the edge of the bed was, like, definitely a weird sensation. And, like, you feel that presence. It's tangible. Yeah, because even if you know you're in a sleep paralysis state, like, that's still fucking freaky. It's still fucking creepy, yeah. But once it started, like, trying to get up on the bed, and it was, like, crawling up on the bed on top of me, that's when I really started trying to push myself out of it. But again, like, that's the only time I've experienced it. I haven't experienced it since not at all like i don't know what was different about that instance or that night or what but it happened and like i said i knew exactly what was going on and i was gonna i was gonna ask both of you um have either one of you ever had these sort of astral projection type dreams where you you feel like you're getting up going towards your bathroom or whatever and then the further you get away from your body the harder it is to move and then you find yourself slingshotted back to your body no no i haven't had that experience before i have those a lot too and they're very distinct from dreams as well like it's different than sleep paralysis and different than dream i just didn't know if y'all had ever had that now I, i've had dreams where it's almost like me floating like a ghost 
post above a story or a, a scene that's mm. happening to like complete strangers that I guess I totally yeah. fabricated in my own brain, but I'm not part of the dream. It's like I'm like floating above them watching it happen. I've had that mm. a couple times. I'm pretty sure I've had dreams where I thought I woke up and I was like walking around my house, but then something like really off or fucked up would be going on. Um, and then I'd wake up out of that and be like, oh, that was a dream. But yeah, I've never had like a kind of out of body experience type of situation with any dreams. So what about your sleep paralysis episode? So uh, like Mansfield, I've only had one sleep paralysis episode, but unlike Mansfield, I'm pretty sure I know how it was triggered. So I want to say it was at the end of 2012. So yeah, I was out of nursing school at that point. I was back at my parents' house for Christmas and it was like a full house. Like both my sisters were in town for Christmas. Um, You know, I was living in New Orleans still at this point and just starting nursing. So I think I might've even still been living at my parents' house. I hadn't moved into my own place just yet. And it was Christmas Eve night actually. And while we were sitting around the dinner table, we're all talking and somehow we got on the subject of paranormal stuff. And I remember our buddy Rob, you know, from college. Rob Bot. Yep, Rob Bot. I remember how he would used to go work on his dad's oil rig out in the Gulf. And a lot of Cajun people and like country guys would work on there too. But they always like, they told him the story about the devil visiting you when you're asleep, which is the folklore version of sleep paralysis. Yeah, the old hag. Yeah. 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 Of course. And so I was telling, I was explaining to my parents the idea of the devil visiting you in your sleep and how it was basically just sleep paralysis but since they you know they used to not have a way to describe it or uh, they might not know what sleep paralysis is so they thought it was just a demon or the devil so we were all talking about that and then the night winds down we finish eating we're all hanging out I've always been a very late night owl but at this time I was very much not going to bed until like two or three in the morning and after my parents went to bed my sisters went to bed I stayed up with the family dog downstairs and wrapped my family's presence and after I was done doing that and put them under the tree finally went to bed and it was like 2 30 at night I fall asleep next thing I know I wake up and I'm laying in the bed and the dog is laying at the foot of my bed because he used to sleep in the bed with me and yeah, yeah. I look over at the clock and it's like 3 27 in the morning <laughs> that's the worst yeah I think to like go on my side to get more comfortable because I was on my back mm-hmm. next thing I know I can't move and I'm like mm-hmm. what the fuck and then immediately it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest like I was having trouble breathing I started trying to call out and like even try and get the dog's attention and I just couldn't do it and I could even hear myself heavily breathing like dry heaving almost like just sucking for air and next thing I know because I had my door slightly open so the dog could come and go during the night and in the hallway because my my room was at the end of the hallway and I hear from my sister one of my sister's rooms up at the front of the hallway I start hearing her call my name Derek Derek come here and I'm trying to call out to her I'm like yeah yeah I'm awake what's going on but I can't you know I'm starting to panic because now I can barely breathe and as I'm like trying to force myself to sit up the voice starts coming closer to like my door doorway and it starts changing from like my sister's voice to just basically what you would think would be a demonic voice. It almost sounded like <laughs> there was a voice behind my sister's voice and slowly yeah. the two voices kind of melded into one voice as it was getting closer yeah. and closer and finally I was like I sit back one last time and I'm like fuck this and I like, kind of I guess gathered all my strength and just did a sit up like as hard as I could and next thing I know I sit up in my bed and like I'm out of the dream or the, the sleep paralysis. The voice disappears. My 
door is still open. The dog is still at the edge of my bed like it had been in the sleep paralysis state. I look over my clock. It's 3.30 in the morning. I was semi-awake, semi-aware of my surroundings. It kind of shook me so much. I even got up out of my bed and kind of like crept down the hallway, trying not to wake anyone up just to make sure like my sister's doors weren't open and neither of their doors were open. They were both asleep. My parents were dead asleep and I couldn't sleep until like four or four or five in the morning after that. And I knew exactly what had happened too. I was just like, this is because I fucking talked about the devil visiting me in my sleep with my family earlier today. And yeah, just like Aaron, that was the only time it happened. Never happened before. Um, and hasn't happened since knock on wood. Um, I even almost thought that like me bringing it up so much and like with this episode and watching the nightmare, like I was kind of half expecting it to happen like the last two or three nights. So just wait. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have a follow up, I guess. That's right. Yeah. It's going to be 3.33 in the morning. It's going to be the unholy witching hour. Is it is the is the witching hour 3 a.m. or is it 3.33? It, it's kind of loose. I think it's anywhere from like 2 in the morning till 4 in the morning. And okay. it just depends on what folklore you subscribe to. But most of the time I hear it is 2 to 3 in the morning is like the prime time. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Or what time zone your witches happen to be in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. What time zone they're in. That's well, right. And it's funny because I remember like when I read up about sleep paralysis, I always remembered you almost like alien abduction the more you talk about it the more you increase your own chances of it happening to you right and they even touch base on it in the film where uh once you like talk about it a little bit uh, or if you a friend talks to you about it if you never had it the chances of you finally experiencing an episode kind of go up and not that everyone who talks about it does that's ridiculous but it just increases the chances that someone will yeah all you all you listeners out there are gonna have a rough night tonight it's funny (laughs) because i tweeted something out a while back have any of you ever experienced sleep paralysis on our Twitter and yeah like six or seven people right away and all respond like yes yes all the time yes so that goes (laughs) hand in hand with I think more people experience it at least once than we realize Mm -hmm. it's only in recent like in the last several years that it's become like a viral thing so people are just more aware of what it is now for sure yeah right I think they showed that in the documentary that whenever someone becomes more aware of it they're more likely to have it the uh, fellow with the beanie. He looks like uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad? The uh, the the meth yeah. head that's Jesse's friend. He, he looks <laughs> yeah. like that. So anyway, he's talking about how his girlfriend at the time was having sleep paralysis, and he was like, you know, just thinks it's crazy. As soon as he starts thinking that it's it's like something so strange, he has it and realizes that she's not out of her mind. It's almost like it infected him. Like now, yeah, like he, it was contagious. That's interesting. That it is almost like it's it's like a contagion. Yeah, very interesting. So with all our discussion out of the way, um, this episode is going to be a little bit different than our usual style doing things. We are doing 2015's The Nightmare. It is an American documentary film directed by Rodney Asher. Laying down to go to sleep, I would feel utterly exhausted, almost as if I had just been drugged. And my eyes sealed shut, my mouth sealed shut, and it's as if everything was shutting down except for my awareness, my consciousness. I had zero control over my body, but no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't move my arms, my legs. I would try and fight it. It was just so strong. And then you wake up and you're totally paralyzed, you can't move. I began hearing voices and screams and crying. I would hear all the sounds of hell 
Cool. So, uh, a little bit about this movie and what kind of makes this different than our typical is with it being a documentary, this is, for the most part, at least in the stories of people telling these stories, it is, I guess, nonfiction. Um, it is also our first documentary. I mentioned this earlier in the episode. I do think this is a horror movie because A, the subject they're talking about is just naturally terrifying, and B, they actually do a lot of reenactment of these people's stories. And some of the reenactments are, some of them are kind of comical, but some of them are legitimately terrifying. And do a good job of kind of portraying what the perception is like during a sleep paralysis episode. Just a little bit of background on this film. Rodney Asher is the guy who directed our favorite documentary. Mansfield <laughs> room 237, which apparently got all kinds of critical acclaim and people love it. I mean, cool. It is entertaining, but not for the reason like I want it to be. So to put on my like film purist nerd hat for a minute and play devil's advocate, you know, we're describing this movie as a documentary and we have and others have described room 237 as a documentary. But in all fairness, there's no objectivity in either of these whatsoever. There's no taking a step backward, looking at the thing for what it is. There's no clinical definitions of like what we're discussing you know this movie specifically there are no experts you know like there's no medical or psychological people that are coming to give specific info or opinions at all it's just these first hand accounts of sleep paralysis and what the experiences were and Asher specifically said it was less interesting to him to just have talking heads on to discuss the ins and outs of technical aspects of sleep paralysis more so than just having people on who would discuss what their experiences were firsthand because sleep paralysis is just such a weird thing that can't quite be defined yet. We don't know what causes it 100%. We don't know like why so many people have the same recurring themes. So he just said that there was no point to doing an objective, pure documentary kind of thing with the project. It's it's literally just this collection of people's experiences. And I honestly found myself agreeing with his style doing this documentary actually. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's almost like trying to have people on on a documentary about life after death, scientists and doctors, as well as people who believe in other people are skeptics. You can do that and it, yeah, you can make it interesting, but you can only say so much because we really, at the end of the day, don't know. We have theories, accepted theories, but we don't know exactly what sleep paralysis is is or what causes it anything dealing with the brain really we still very much are still discovering things about the brain that we didn't know about 
I appreciated the the experts uh, that we want to look at are just everyday people who suffer from this. Let's get them on. And it's not judgmental. It just shows it as it is. It has yeah. them tell their story and that's it. And I, I kind of like that. It's a wide range of people too. It's men and women. It's people of different races and ethnicities. It's people of different ages. Like it's a very like diverse chunk of people. Was it one guy in the United Kingdom? Yeah. So- yeah, it was it was people from all over the place, and they they found these people like through chat groups and message boards and stuff like that initially. But then once the cat kind of got out of the bag that they were working yeah. on a documentary about sleep paralysis, people straight up started coming to them. Yeah, tons of people started coming to them. Yeah, um, which Rodney Asher again, like going back to the idea that this can't necessarily be objective. I mean, Rodney Asher chose this topic specifically because he had an experience with sleep paralysis, and so that kind of drove his fascination and want to like make this project. I remember because we had talked about it a little bit back on our uh, Night of the Demons with Evan where we just so happened put on Coast to Coast while we were road tripping overnight and Rodney Asher was the guest uh, on the segment we listened to and he apparently is coming out with another documentary all about glitches in the Matrix. Oh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, he's got a doc coming out about the band The Mentors and just how weird and controversial they were. And then he's got another doc that, as of right now, is just called A Glitch in the Matrix. And there's not really a whole lot of info other than we know that that's generally what it's about. Yeah, so that'll be interesting because I will see that because while I don't necessarily care too much for 237, Room 237 as a Shining fanboy, I did really enjoy The Nightmare. So I will check out that documentary. But I do agree with the host. Uh, It was a guest host that night. And I, yeah, I do like how he very much made a horror documentary that seems like a very specific subgenre. Well, I, I definitely remember like growing up some of the scariest shit that I remember watching just on regular TV was Unsolved Mysteries. True crime shows like that that were on in the early to mid 90s. Like that was some of the scariest shit. The like dramatic reenactments. And then, you know, you look back at them as an adult and they're kind of corny. The stuff that's in this documentary like you said some of it's kind of goofy and laughable you know this is a low budget project but they do the best with what they have certainly but some of the people's recollections are so bananas and out there (laughs) jeff you telling me a second ago about the chimp with the overalls on that just came in like got the newspaper like it immediately reminded me of the guy in this doc who was like yeah i just looked into the middle distance and saw this guy rollerblading and he started rollerblading toward me and then as he got close all of a sudden he had a gun in his hand and he shot me <laughs> and, <laughs> like yeah. that's the kind of wild shit and, the sh- and him shooting him caused the sleep process to start yeah yeah that's the kind of wild shit that it's goofy to see the reenactments that they do in this but one thing i like and again this is like let's look at this documentary as a piece of filmmaking i really appreciate that the talking heads are filmed in a way that you don't normally see so they are not just bust profile 
talking at a camera. There are some moments of that, but there are a lot of these very uneasy moments where they are talking, discussing with Asher, who's interviewing them, but then they are being filmed like through a mirror or they are being filmed off to the side and everybody is being filmed what looks like in their own houses or apartments and all the lights are turned off except for the like lights that are on the camera pointing at them. So that stuff goes a long way to creating a mood and an atmosphere in this documentary that puts the audience kind of at unrest a little bit. In that regard, everything is a little skewed, almost like a bad dream or a nightmare. And that yeah. even the people that are telling the stories, they all seemed like normal people for the most part, but it is still very much a centric storytelling to the movie. And yeah, right off the bat, even just the parts that are taking place in quote unquote reality, where it's them actually just like being interviewed is still creepy because of the way it's set up. And I mean, yeah. it, do we even need to go into what horrors this movie touches on? Like, come on. I mean, we can talk about a few. Yeah. So, you know, sleep paralysis is very much kind of what we all described earlier. It's when your body locks up. You are in a state of lucid dreaming where you are clearly still asleep, but it feels like you're awake. Sometimes people experience it kind of out of body where they feel like they're floating above themselves. But most of the time it is you locked to your bed, cannot move, cannot talk, cannot move. And a lot of times then there are external threats like there are often people like these shadow kind of figures that might be in your room, like standing in the corners or standing at the edge of the end of your bed, sometimes crawling up into your bed. Sometimes those people, as one of the guys in the doc explains, he basically saw these figures that were made out of black and white snowfall static that used to be on old TVs. Some of these are also debatable on whether or not alien abductions are a thing. Some of them also may just be sleep paralysis. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on, actually, you know, because I I agree with you. I'm I'm glad the documentary didn't have a bunch of professionals trying to explain the medical aspect because we can read the Wikipedia version, all that stuff, and, and we really don't know. I have my own theories. The the um, acetylcholine in the body overpowering the serotonin in our system, and that may be contributing to some of this, which the, the neurotransmitter um, acetylcholine, different sorts of imbalances in that can cause psychological disturbances where people have hallucinations that look very realistic seeing people they don't know or they do know things of that nature. Well, I was going to say too, isn't it in a normal sleep process, isn't it that once your brain or your body senses that you are asleep, it then is supposed to, I don't know if it's a chemical or a response sent to your brain to paralyze your body for kind of comfort's sake, but also even security's sake, like so you're not rolling over too much. And yeah. what is that a chemical or is that uh, just a uh, brain process? No, I mean, it, it is a transmission of different neurotransmitters, which it happens to do with what we think choline or, or acetylcholine causing the neurotransmission. Right. But the other really interesting thing, um, you know, because my own specific niche within psychiatry is dealing with psychedelic research, you know, and I'm not talking about the bro Jogan podcast type of everyone smoked DMT. I'm talking about the real nitty gritty like research. Yeah. Oh, man, that's cool. But have you ever tried DMT? You got an isolation tank? <laughs> so, so the thing is 
um, seriously, though, um, speaking of DMT, you know, there's been these theories since the 60s that we produce in our body and all that stuff. But it was never proven until actually it, uh, um, there was a biochemist from Alabama who worked um, at a vet school. I think he's in Louisiana now, Stephen Barker, who created an assay, basically a way of finding uh, small amounts of trace chemicals in human blood. In 2013, he uh, detected that we do, in fact, produce DMT through some sort of reaction between our lungs and our pineal gland, something of that nature. We still don't know a lot about it. However, one of the biggest archetypes in um, a lot of people's di- dimethyltryptamine trips are um, feeling like they're being abducted by some sort of mantid-like creature or mantid-eyed creature or basically, you know, a, a green alien. And so there, there could also be some sort of combination of a DMT burst that's going off in the brain causing this sort of sensation when people have alien abductions. Now, I don't know about sleep paralysis, except we talked about the blue lady earlier. And, the, and one of the fellows in this uh, documentary talks about how, you know, his girlfriend was having sleep paralysis and all of a sudden this blue lady showed up. Well, in um, other serotonergic psychedelic trips, that is a not uncommon archetype that people talk about seeing a green or blue lady that shows up and she's very peaceful and very calm. Yeah. One of the weird things about that one specifically is this is the guy who sees these entities that are made of TV static and they, they kind of harassed him ever since he was a little kid. Like his yeah. first hallucinations were that they would come up to his crib and tickle him. And yeah, then yeah, as he got yeah. older, he said that they kind of looked like aliens just made out of static and he was dating this girl and they kind of went into she was i guess sort of pagan or i don't know what she was but some sort of spiritualist yeah i don't know if they took stuff but they wandered out into a forest and yeah like she closes her eyes and that's when the blue lady appeared and she oh wait this this couple never mind yes yeah, yeah. he described her as being kind of like a crunchy fairy girl a yeah little bit. well the thing that's kind of creepy and you know this guy could totally been making this shit up on but it is still an interesting story like while they're out in the forest like she closes her eyes starts kind of dancing around the blue lady appears she's aware that the blue lady is there but she has her eyes like closed the entire time has her hands over her face the guy doesn't the guy's kind of just freaking out seeing all this happen and then his girlfriend turns around and says oh the blue lady said not to worry about the demons that are behind you (laughs) and then he looks behind him and the fucking things that attack him when he's uh, has sleep paralysis are there and that's just kind of one example and that was that one went from being laughable to kind of creepy because those entities at first were kind of like what the fuck is this but then when they kind of approach the crib in the reenactment and then they kind of just jump at the kid that freaked me (laughs) out there are a surprising amount of jump scares in this movie i might add (laughs) i was not a fan of we're going to be loose talking like this probably throughout the rest of the episode. We're not going to go beat by beat with the movie because in general, like Mansfield said, there's no plot. Yeah, there's no plot. They do discuss certain archetypes like the shadow people that appear in multiple people's dreams. And it's about eight people or maybe more than that. Like you were saying, all ages, all sexes, all all walks of life. And yeah, the movie starts off slower in that they kind of like start at their origins or their first stories and then they build it up to like their most intense experience and then kind of end it on like what can we do to deal with this and like one guy kind of ends on more of a somber note saying that he thoroughly believes that one day like he'll have a sleep paralysis episode and then just stop breathing and he'll never wake up because his episodes are have been increasingly getting worse and they're starting to harm him like physically he feels pain yeah and this this was the guy who also to keep the sleep paralysis from triggering slept with a TV on at night yeah oh and he kept getting more 
or more TVs. Yeah, and he thought in his head, like, oh, that high-pitched noise from TV is what's keeping it from happening. But eventually that didn't work. So then he got another TV. And eventually he had a, like, bedroom full of TV sets that he slept with every night. And he realized, like, this isn't actually working. He threw them all away. And literally that night that he got rid of all the TVs was, like, his worst incident of sleep paralysis. So the idea that it's something that you can't always figure out for certain what triggers it. You don't know how intense it's going to be. You don't know what things you can do to keep it from happening. You don't know what things you can do to like snap out of it. And you don't necessarily know if you've already experienced the worst of it or not. All of that is terrifying to me. We bring up loss of control as a common fear through a lot of these movies. In my mind, this is the quintessential loss of control. You are at your most vulnerable when you are asleep. Usually a bed or going to sleep is the ultimate form of relaxation. It's, you know, what you sometimes even look forward to by the end of the day. It's supposed to be like this thing that re-energizes you, recharges you. And sleep paralysis and what this movie shows is you getting attacked at your most vulnerable, you getting attacked at the moment you're supposed to be at your highest comfort level, and there's no rhyme or reason as to why this is happening. Like, it seems to be totally random why it's you. There's no real clear consensus of, like, a certain group of people who have it. They think that maybe is a genetic or travels through family, but that's really about the only loose thing that they can even track. Otherwise, it just happens randomly at different ages, at no matter what and then it also kind of covers the fact because some of these people towards the end they don't they've no longer had any episodes like the girl who kind of became a born-again christian she was saying how she never has episodes another girl who is more like about like oh this is all or just our chemicals in her brain misfiring she also said that she doesn't really have them anymore either and then yeah then the other guy that we just talked about who still has them and they're getting worse it can happen to you it can happen to any of us at least once during our life and you know this happened back in 2012 for me and i still remember that the whole episode clear as day. It was just such a harrowing experience that it just sits with me to this day. It, it'll be a story that I, I won't forget until I'm senile or dead. <laughs> this is not me trying to be trying to be you know quote unquote I am very badass or anything like that. This is um, literally because I've experienced it so many times at this point. And it's funny whenever I started trying to look up some more stuff before we um, did this episode, I got on the sleep paralysis subreddit and I found some people who had similar experiences to mine. To where one of the best things you could probably do to get over the traumatization of it. You know, you see these people in this documentary and it's not fun for them. I mean, it's terrifying. But I do think if you face it head on and you start to just... I don't want to say the word embrace it, but just, yeah. all I can say is I told you some of the goofy ones I had, but like a couple of the more scary ones that I've had and I was able to keep my calm and realize this is sleep paralysis. I'm just going to watch it and see what happens. The other day I had one, I think I told you about day one, maybe YouTube answered in which this being came out of my closet. And it was uh, very much one of those like archetypal shadow type beings, like a 3D shadow. But it had one red eye on one side of its face and like a parasitic type tapeworm mouth. And it slowly came over to my bed and it was hovering over me and it was breathing right in my face. And I was like, I know this is sleep paralysis. I'm not going to like give in to the fear of it, even though it was absolutely disturbing to look at because it looked so real. Yeah. In the end, I just kind of confronted it head on and it kind of slunked away and I almost had confused instead of, you know, being aggressive and and went back into the closet, and I was still in sleep paralysis mode. Now, we'll tell you, one of the ones that I knew was sleep paralysis, but I finally was like, my strategy of getting out of sleep paralysis, I will start to grind my teeth and move my fingertips. As I do it more and more, um, finally my extremities will get more involved, and I'll finally just snap out of it. 
So that's yeah. one strategy I have. But my intern year of residency, I was in bed. I, I fell asleep at an odd hour in the middle of the day, taking a nap. So that and stuff was going to increase my chance. And I was kind of stressed out over being an intern. You know, it was a really hard year. And I remember it was thundering outside. Great time to take a nap. I'm over on my left side. And I am staring at the bathroom door, and I go in this full-blown sleep paralysis mode, like hard, one of the hardest ones I've ever been in. Could not move at all. I was like, okay, let's see what's going to happen. And the bathroom door starts to slowly creak open, and these long gray and bluish gray hands start to come out, like arms coming out of the door and like reaching Fuck around. Like that. it was so absolutely terrifying. Fuck and I was yeah. just looking at it. Nope. I was like, this this is sleep paralysis, and I kept like sitting there thinking, all right, it's going to get better, but it didn't get any better. <laughs> and so nope. that was one of the few I finally aborted. I was like, abort, abort. I'm getting out of this. And, and it was so interesting that uh, as soon as my body woke up, my eyes were already open, and the door just snap back into place and there's no hands anymore very interesting thing but i don't feel traumatized by it for the most part i mean i just it's just know what it is confront it head on i think that's the best strategy i can give to most people who are chronic sufferers and that's what a lot of people on the on the subreddit they have memes you know talking about having a heart to heart with your sleep paralysis entity at 3 a.m <laughs> it is uh, really interesting how your subconscious can affect what presents itself the thing that fascinates me and they touch on this a lot in the documentary is it's almost like the same thing with uh near-death experiences and stuff like that or abduction scenarios where people of all walks of life all experience pretty much the same sort of things happening to them. Yeah, all cultures even, like all across cultures, the entire yeah. world. Um, yeah. There is a moment in the documentary where they show artwork from like every culture. They name like the demon. And they show the yeah. names that they have specifically for it, yeah. Uh, which I did think is interesting. It opens with the etymology of the word nightmare, which obviously is the word night and mare, which is a word for incubus. But yeah, it's totally like a thing that crosses all cultural boundaries. Very Jungian. Very Jungian. The De- definition they show for nightmare isn't what you think it is. It isn't like, oh, an unpleasant dream. No, it's like an entity that attacks you in your sleep or something like like that that like sits on top of you and yeah. keeps you from breathing or whatever yeah yeah and this is something that just being a fan of all things spooky paranormal like listening to coast coast uh listening to the last podcast all that stuff i already kind of knew about the archetype of the three shadow people one of them having kind of like a top hat and being the quote-unquote leader i've heard that before and it was so like i kind of like almost stood up when i was watching the documentary in my chair of being like holy shit yeah i've heard of this before with at first there's like maybe just one that shows up like one shadow person and it gets closer to you and closer to you and then eventually turns into three and there's a leader quote unquote and then um also i know jeff you had mentioned like one with a red eye Mm -hmm. there's the guy in the documentary talking about basically kind of a red-eyed shadow person that sort of almost turned into like mothman yeah and the crazy part i really enjoyed that story because the crazy part was then he woke up to his girlfriend screaming out of it because it turned out she then was saying that there was a cat sitting on her talking yeah. to him um, and the cat was also a shadow cat with red eyes and it was talking to him but she couldn't understand what it was saying to him but in his hallucination it was basically a demonic mothman and it was telling him you know me which I also thought was interesting because the whole idea of people who say they've 
had abductions, people who have had sleep paralysis, or say they've come across entities that they can't explain. The idea of in, in sleep you know, or you know who I am, yeah. comes up a lot. They looked familiar. I couldn't yeah. place who they were, but like I knew I knew them. Yeah. Well, well, no, just even the whole idea of what they literally say to them of you know me or in sleep you know, because I thought of Gulf Breeze, like he said that when he was abducted, the aliens kept saying in sleep you will know, in sleep you will know. And then also you know who I am. Even if they are demonic looking, they say you know who I am. And I just find that fascinating that so many people across all kinds of walks of life and cultures report these same archetypes. One of the last things going back to the whole neurochemistry and stuff of it that's really interesting to me is you do hear these instances of people in sleep paralysis having what we call folia de or you know the foolishness of two y'all have heard of jimson weed before yeah yeah it grows on the side of the road so it's a instead of a psychedelic it's like a true hallucinogen and and it messes with your acetylcholine your cholinergic system basically causes imbalances in that people often have oleodus type of hallucinations where they see similar entities however I know one archetype I've read heavily about is this demonic dog with red eyes that follows people around and lots of people see this thing I don't know if this is hyper suggestibility from people reading each other's accounts or if this is an archetype that some people are seeing but that's really interesting interesting to me that you know there may be some sort of similar underlying mechanism but again that's all me talking out of my ass because we don't really know well and if you wanted to get into like more of i guess the hooky do side of unexplored science the idea of the collective unconsciousness of whether Mm -hmm. whether they're literally entities that are on the edge of our collective unconsciousness whether they're the other part of reality because we only perceive certain dimensions or whether or not they're literally like thought form ideas that take form because so many people think about them that they become tulpas basically yeah yeah or maybe if you think of it like in how Aldous Huxley would say that the brain is more like a radio station filtering things maybe depending on what chemicals balances are in there we shift over to a different wavelength and perceive things in a different way that are you know God, this is gonna get on <laughs> this is fucking college dorm smoking weed for the first time <laughs> conversation. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Well, and so that kind of goes back to like the actual again filmmaking aspect of this documentary that Asher put together because Room Two Three Seven is just as fucking incomprehensible, but also like what the fuck at the same time with the whole like let's just get a bunch of fruitcakes together to talk about what they think The Shining is actually about. And I I do like the lack of objectivity in these documentaries because I think it, it at least is something to talk about afterward. More so than like a regular documentary where you feel like okay I was just given a bunch of information and now like that's that because these were experts with facts. You know there's not much for me to discuss but with this it's all open to interpretation. It's all mm-hmm. open for us to like discuss and talk about because you know you either have similarities that overlap with other people's experiences and you have this kind of weird unspoken bond with them or your experiences are completely fucking different and it's you know again like a monkey in overalls or a guy on (laughs) rollerblades with a gun all of a sudden you know again I I had a very vanilla sleep paralysis experience but you know it's it was very distinct and I will never forget it and if it ever happens again i will know exactly what is happening just like i did this last time but it's definitely one of those things where like i have a lot of empathy for these people yeah and shit yours was worse than mine 
too, because you actually saw the entity. I only heard the entity. Um, and yeah. even then it was terrifying enough for me. Yeah. And, you know, it's different with Room 237 where you can really look at that and just be like, these are a bunch of loonies. And the fucking Shining is not some veiled confession about how Kubrick made the the moon landing footage. And now the Shining is his, like, way of confessing that he actually did all that, like... You know, it's not like that kind of bullshit where you think about these people and you're like, they're nuts, this is weird, like, I'm not going to give any credibility to these people. This documentary is just regular-ass people, and them recounting these experiences where you can tell they are genuinely shook up, and they are disturbed, and they don't know how to explain it, and they feel powerless, and them discussing something that, like, for a lot of people is embarrassing to discuss, you know, because in our society, it feels like it's some kind of deficiency or weakness that you experience these kinds of things. So people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid that people are going to think they're crazy. You know, so like this doc does a good job of really creating strong empathy with the people you're listening to. Um, And I find that to be fascinating because in a lot of documentaries, like you just don't get that. You know, it doesn't matter what the subject matter is. It's hard to create that level of like connection and empathy with random people, period. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing, too, because from the medical side, I've seen some people come in concerned, especially well, more as a med student. This documentary has done a lot to help people sort of realize what this phenomena is. And seeing a lot of doctors, you know, be asked, neurologists and psychiatrists being asked, like, what's going on with me? And some of us med students have to say, like, we think they're having sleep paralysis. Because, again, if it is even 35% of the population having it or less, many of the doctors don't know what the hell it is. And yeah. so these people come to doctors thinking they're going to get expert help, thinking they're going to get treated. We don't really have much that can treat it. Even the suggestions of SSRIs for antidepressants, maybe, probably not. More than anything, I do think trying not to give into the fear is the best thing you can do. I don't know what else we can do about it right now and and just having the empathy and understanding that wow what you're experiencing is real is is, that's a great step forward if nothing else i think you nailed it on the head there because i think this movie is a lot more well known than people realize because yeah i remember coming out around 2015 because it first made the circuit and at sundance it was apparently received really well there and then it pretty much almost like immediately got put up on netflix or streaming service and i just remember a lot of people all of a sudden talking about like this is one of the best horror movies of the year and it's not even a fictional horror movie. It's a documentary. I just know, like, talking with y'all that a lot of our friend group have seen it on and off. Just generally people talking about it. Pretty much right away, it was on Netflix. Yeah. That meant it was accessible to pretty much everybody right away. I mean, that's how we watched it. Yeah. I had heard about it partly because, like, oh, yeah, Room 237 is fucking batshit. So let's check out the next thing that this guy is doing. Oh, and it's about sleep paralysis? Even better. But the fact that it was on Netflix pretty much right away, yeah, Heather and I watched it. And I talked to a few other people that are like, yeah, I just saw this thing on Netflix and it sounded interesting, so I watched it. So I think having it available made a difference. It was on so many top 10 horror lists too at the end of 2015 and going into 2016. And uh, yeah, I think I think there probably was a good chunk of people who went in there being like, oh, this is going to be like the room of documentaries. And then <laughs> yeah. they get fucking disturbed by like some real ass shit portrayed in a creepy.
creepy way and and just a matter of fact way instead of the bat shitness that is room 237 yeah something too like even if it is only like eight or nine percent of the population that's still millions of people that that's a lot that's a lot of people still suffering from this and so the story that sat with me the most that creeped me out the most and i'm sure like you could probably guess it mansfield but it really was the girl who um i think it was the born again christian girl who hers became more demonic towards the end yeah specifically the story where she was talking about how it would start her door would open up and she would hear basically what she thought were the sounds of hell coming like out of the door like people just shrieking yeah just screaming yeah screaming and shrieking and then it would end with she would feel the presence coming behind her she couldn't turn around she was laying on her side and but she couldn't turn around even when it came right up to her and then it would scream like in her ear and just make like a demonic <laughs> howl and the fucking reenactment they do is just jump scare after jump scare and it yeah. was very effective for me um i don't know like what specific case sat with you all the most but i don't know i guess my whole jump scare demonic things freak me out that just kind of hit all the right buttons of m- me being a big wussy i think the one that bothered me the most was the one where again the guy sees the vision of the person who is talking to him and then his girlfriend is seeing the cat talking to him in a completely different language she can't understand so it's like they're both experiencing different manifestations of the same exact entity but it's expressing itself differently to both of them that one was kind of creepy and got under my skin a little bit another thing too like some stuff to me makes sense like when you hear them talk about like the electrical sensations that begin at your fingertips and your toes and like travel up your arms and legs and the loud banging sounds that you hear that sounds just like somebody smashing a hammer against sheet metal to me all that stuff is very clinical and like that makes sense like the electrical feeling like coming up your arm up your limbs like that's just kind of that weird feeling of like when your limbs go numb if you've like been sitting on your legs in kind of a weird way and one of your legs starts to go numb like maybe you're sleeping on your arm in a certain way if you're sleeping on your side you know and so of course yeah you start to get that weird kind of crinkly static electricity kind of sensation it's probably exactly the sensation uh, what it would feel like if like you could trigger whatever paralysis thing happens when you normally fall asleep yeah you were aware that's probably exactly what it feels like yeah and that that loud banging and like uh, that's just like blood rushing in your heart Heartbeat, just that like kind of sound, you know, like some of that stuff seems to be very explanatory in clinical ways, but then there's wild shit like the shadow people and stuff that like lots of people experience, and that's just it's hard to square a lot of it at the end of the day. And what's so strange to me, you know, you again it is different for each person. I never get the rushing in the ears, the crinkling in the ears, or the tingling. And I almost think that some of these people may be having a concurrent panic attack, you know. Would make sense while they're experiencing this which would explain why some people have that tingling and and the zoning out in their ears and stuff like that because i mean yeah I, i've never had the sensation i don't think and I, a lot of people i talk to have never had that sensation with there so i guess it's variable yeah the whole idea too that your sleep paralysis will potentially adapt to what you're doing to counteract like the guy who again like kept just getting more and more tvs mm-hmm. and the sleep paralysis kept overcoming that and like getting worse and worse you Was know he also so the guy who talked about the scene straight out of Flatliners or was that a different guy? I remember it being Chris. I think his name was Chris and I think he was one who... Did they talk about Flatliners? 
Yeah, there were, at one point in the documentary, I think he mentions Flatliners, like a scene oh, from, out of Flatliners. I know that they mention uh, Nightmare on Elm Street as well. I don't mm-hmm. recall anybody talking about Flatliners, but definitely Nightmare on Elm Street and definitely Jacob's Ladder as well. Jacob's Ladder, mm-hmm. never mind. Yeah, Jacob's Ladder, because the face was moving so yeah, fast. Yeah, it's not yeah. Flatliners, it's Jacob's Ladder. That's right. Now, that is something, I, that is a phenomenon I've seen in my sleep paralysis, is the heads going, like the Jacob's Ladder thing. That's definitely something. It's very That's strange. fucking creepy. That's one of the creepiest things, yeah. Oh, and I do, before I forget, there are the last two that I really do want to talk about uh, episodes that I had. One, just because it shows how realistic your brain can portray some sort of random projection of your subconscious or whatever's going on. Again, don't know what's going on. But y'all have played Oblivion, right? You know, the game. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, you know, those little imps that, that first come out of the, the fire gates from Oblivion. Sure. Like the very yeah. first, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the real small ones. Yeah. There was one time that I had sleep paralysis in the middle of the day. And I mean, it was a carbon copy. One of those things was off to the side of my bed staring at me aiming a little tiny bow and arrow at me and again i knew it was sleep paralysis and i thought it was hilarious like this little thing was there but it was so realistic this little demonic creature now one of the weirdest ones i've had archetype wise was i did have a full-blown succubus episode one time i mean it was like straight out of world of warcraft like looking type succubus purplish blue leathery wings i was sleeping downstairs and it was like three o'clock in the morning i was sleeping on a couch and this thing like comes up and crawls on me and starts trying to touch my nasty bits <laughs> and my nasty bits yeah 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 and and anyway as it starts trying to do these things and it's not feeling bad even even though i'm, I'm a researcher I'm a, I'm a doctor my scientist at heart i also am catholic and still have some of these things back in my brain that that preys on and i'm sitting there like oh this better not happen because she'll suck my soul out of it God, um, now I'm just thinking of that guy in the dock who was like, there was a claw, like a metal claw, like the claw machine claw, and it just started clamping down on my dick. <laughs> and just, God, like, ugh. And not even, like, sexually pleasurably, like, just literally, no, like, punching like clamping his dick. down on yeah. his dick. Yeah, yeah. it reminded uh, me of, uh, I, I hate to admit this, but the scene I instantly thought of was, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, grab him, beat his testicles. <laughs> <laughs> it was Sinbad telling Rob Thomas to unleash oh, yeah. the fury. Well, and there was actually the woman in the documentary who had a pseudo-sexual experience as well. Like an incubus. Yeah. Yeah. Where she felt the shadow person crawling on top of her and literally, like, start having sex with her. But yeah, it's very interesting how, like, that part of it intersects in some ways, too, because they are sexual expressions of sleep paralysis, and sometimes they're pleasurable, and sometimes they're fucking terrifying, like a claw machine claw chopping your junk to pieces. So... Yeah, like, that's the stuff, too, that kind of fascinates me because it's so fucking wild. They all can't be ghost blowjob from Ghostbusters. Yeah. I do wonder how much that correlates with people who do have a more, you know, religious background, you know, because it's, you know, more taboo, obviously, for those of us with a more religious background who are either used to or currently hold some sort of belief. And so it's feeling like, oh, this is naughty. This is evil. Again, subconscious projecting itself. I don't know. Yeah. Again, that's, that's where, like, this doc is interesting because it doesn't try to offer any kind of explanations or theories necessarily like it's just purely these people's experiences and mm-hmm. you kind of have to go along for that ride if anything it's kind of shining a light on sleep 
paralysis. Yeah. That's kind of just the main objective of this documentary is it's just making sleep paralysis, I guess, more well known in the mainstream than it was previously. Yeah. Because even one of those guys in the, in the documentary talks about how like, yeah, you know, before the internet was really a thing, like in the early 90s, late 80s, I thought I was the only one in the world experiencing this. And then when we got dial up internet, I would search it online and it turns out hundreds of people are having this problem. Yeah. If, if sleep paralysis is more like a contagion, it's going to turn out that Rodney Asher is literally a sleep paralysis entity making this happen. <laughs> yeah, he's a tulpa. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a tulpa. He's a tulpa. Spreading it. Uh, oh, God. Well, at the end of the day, I was definitely more fascinated with this doc than I was with Room 237, where once I realized what Room 237 was, I was just getting fucking aggravated and, like, yelling at the TV as Heather and I were watching it. Yeah. Same. But, you know, this one, I kind of went in knowing what to expect a little bit more more having seen room 237 and i think it made me definitely more open to like not only the style of the documentary but also his kind of approach and just knowing that like i was not going to get any kind of actual answers from the documentary and i think the technical aspects of how it was made are all very solid again i like the dramatic recreations and i like the fact that they are kind of doing it all in a meta sense where you see the performers as performers going from like soundstage to soundstage and there's a control room with editors. And yeah, that was that was a cool touch. That aspect is interesting because it shows that they are actively trying to interpret what these people are telling them. I like too that it kind of creates this idea that like, you know, none of it is real. It's all just stuff that like our minds are somehow tapping into and creating but it's not tangible fact at the end of the day you know it's all the smoke and mirrors filmmaking kind of stuff you know it's almost as if the soundstage studio with the actors doing the recreations is all just in our heads as we're seeing everything expressed you know so it's that that whole idea was interesting to me as well I am definitely a lot more excited now for his new documentary because I already like reading about glitches in the matrix even if I don't necessarily believe in them quite as much as some other things, but I do find them fascinating and fun to read. So I am curious to see this documentary when it drops. I don't know when it will, because I can't find anything about it on his Wikipedia page. And I haven't really tried to look around Google yet. But like I said, I did hear him talk about it a little bit on Coast to Coast. But this was probably the scariest documentary reenactment thing I've seen because I, I like you, Aaron, I, I think I had watched a couple like true crime reenactments sort of stuff and I've watched a couple of you know my ghost story reenactment sort of stuff which some of those were kind of creepy sometimes but I think this one was by far like the scariest documentary reenactment anything I've seen yeah all right cool cool well do we have any closing thoughts on the nightmare five out of seven good movie man <laughs> five out of seven. <laughs> oh god this is why i miss you being around more often uh um yeah if uh if we don't really have anything else to say then i guess that's it for this week thank you dr jeff yeah thanks dr jeff for coming on well thank you too i enjoyed being on just hanging out with youtube fellas is always a pleasure is there anything you want to plug any kind of publications you got out there or anything Thing like that oh man dude i just came back from the first international society for research on psychedelics conference fuck yeah it may sound a little ridiculous but it's not edutainment it was literally the 
um, first ever conference for researchers, MDs, PhDs on psychedelics and so much. Good stuff. We're about to have a legit revolution in the field of psychiatry. And this is not smoke weed every day, 420, do DMT all the time. This is legit. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Or the field is actually taking it more seriously. Yeah. 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 Me too. I'm, I'm actually about to give a presentation on LSD and its history and its treatments in about a month and a half. And um, maybe wake up a few of our professors. Um, my, you know, we have some old school people, but anyway. Hey, as a guy who uh, has chronic depression, anxiety, I would love to one day microdose on a controlled LSD to, you know, help with my depression. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit you and you're not going to microdose. You're going to go full on ego death <laughs> if you're going to beat that. I'm going to touch the face of God. Yes. Oh, yes. God. Um, yeah. But no, I really enjoyed it. And and if y'all ever, um, I'm looking forward to any further episodes, especially uh, The Witch. And um, if y'all ever watch AM 1200, I'd love, whether or not y'all do an episode, I'd love just to hear y'all, y'all's thoughts on it. Oh, we're going to have you back on, especially now that we know you really enjoy Cthulhu and Lovecraft type horror. We'll oh, probably yeah. be able to dig into some movies then and have you back on. Yeah, definitely. With that, we are Watch If You Dare, the podcast. We are at Watch If You Dare on Twitter, Facebook, the socials. Uh, you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, and now Spotify. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Aaron, you got anything else? Another shout out to our buddy Lamplu. The trailer for his first feature, The Vice Guide to Bigfoot, was actually picked up and covered by SciFi.com. So big shout out to him. Um, again, by the time this episode drops, it'll be past that point. But um, definitely keep your eyes peeled for it. Australia, right? No, in uh, the Austin Film Fest. Austin. Yeah. I thought it was Australia yeah. for some reason. I thought Farmer was going to have to like fill us in on what it was like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so much love to our, our buddy Lamplu. That fucking blew my mind. I was so happy for him when I saw that sci-fi article covering his trailer. That's yep. amazing. And um, like always, big shout out to my little brother Jesse, aka Party Gator, for providing the music for the bumps, the beginning and the ends of every episode. Thank you for the new bumps um, during our season of the spoop, by the way, yep. Jesse. That was awesome. Appreciate the it. The season of spoop ones are definitely great. So check his stuff out on Bandcamp at Party Gator and his other band, Opossums. Definitely give him a listen. <laughs> and yeah, beyond that... <laughs> Wait, I gotta give a shout out to Jesse for this is like eight years too late for not getting run over by a car after, uh, you know, the last Wookiee party, um, where I think we found him in the grass somewhere. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. That's going to be it for this episode. So sweet dreams, Sally. <laughs> <laughs>